Okay, uh, if you're new here, you know our, cus- our, our custom is to always stand and read the Word of God, so we're going to do that together as a congregation. So please stand with me, and we'll start in verse 6 of chapter 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Please be seated. Well, as you can tell by reading this morning, today's sermon is going to be about a subject matter that I know for many of you is of great interest. I know this because I spent time with you in in Bible studies and on -on one-on-ones, and we talk a lot about money in this church. And so this will be a, a topic of interest for you today. But before we jump in, let me remind you, let me remind you of why we're talking about money today. As you know, we go through each book verse by verse, and I don't pick the subject matters. They, they appear as the text unfolds. And so I don't pick and choose. The, the Bible reveals them for me. But in our last sermon, we spent our time looking at Paul's final warning to Timothy regarding the false teachers in Ephesus and the character traits that made up these men that have put the church in danger. And we looked at five uh, attributes of these guys, but it was the fifth characteristic that gives us the context of our sermon today. These people uh, had a, a love for money. They, they, they went into the ministry and they were in Ephesus and serving in the church. They were doing it for the financial gain they could get. They, they hoped to become affluent through the gospel message. We see that in verse 5. He actually says, These men were depraved in mind and depraved, of the, deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness, the Christian faith, the Christian religion, is a means of gain. And we just determined that that word gain is in the category of financial gain. So that's important for us to remember because I like the way uh, Odin, uh, one of my commentaries wrote it, he put, these men supposed the gospel was backlit with the color of money. <laughs> Isn't that good? He, he thought that the gospel, they thought that the gospel was backlit with the color of money. And so we're, first sixes through ten are written in response to these false teachers. And stands as a corrective in terms of what money can do. However, this is not a message just for false teachers. Every single one of us in here understand the pull of greed and the desire for more. And so this message is not just for false teachers in the church. This is for every one of us in here. And so Paul gives two really uh, sections about money, two teachings here. The first has to do with contentment. Our contentment towards wealth. That's verses 6 to 8. And the second is a warning for those of us who desire to get rich. Verses 9 through 10. So let's start with the area of contentment. Notice in verse 6 that Paul starts with a but. What he's about to do here is make a contrast then between the negative characteristics of the false teachers, which is greed, with the proper Christian attitude, which is contentment. So let's read this. He says, These men suppose that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Now, we've already established that the word gain is in the area of finances. So he says here, godliness is a means of great financial gain when accompanied by contentment. 
Now this Greek word in contentment is very similar to ours in English. It just means to be satisfied. It means to be satisfied. Or to, to um, be grateful for one's lot in life and see that lot as being sufficient. That's what the word contentment means. So why would, why would then godliness be a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment, when one was satisfied? Well, here's why. Because the amount of money one did or, did or didn't have, or received or didn't receive, or made or didn't make, would become irrelevant, irrelevant to one's satisfaction in life. If I don't care how much I have or how much I make, I'll always be content. That's the issue. Using myself as an example, if I get hired to guest speak somewhere for $50, and, uh, and I am, have a content, content attitude, that's a great gain to me, because I'm happy with that. If I happen to go somewhere else and get $250 for the same exact same uh, speech or the same sermon, Again, it plays no relevance in my attitude towards life because my, my contentment is not dependent on my financial portfolio. I'm just grateful for what I have and so therefore it's great gain to me. Notice the opposite is true. If, I'm not, if I don't have uh, contentment and I'm not satisfied with my financial provisions, then it's not great gain. So great gain is when it's accompanied by contentment. Take away contentment, there is no great gain. Why? Because you're never satisfied. You always want more and more and more to be, quote-unquote, happy. So contentment here is unrelated to how much you have. It's only related to how much you want. <laughs> if you don't have lots of wants, you'll always be content. But notice how in verse 7, Paul continues to substantiate his claim that the pursuit of riches and greed is futile. And that the Christian attitude towards material possessions must be one of contentment. Look at verse 7. He says, For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. You know, these words are reminiscent to Job in chapter 121. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. I like to add this. Naked, or you come into the world not only naked, you come into the world drooling, needing fed, and your bum changed. And you go out the exact same way. <clears throat> so Paul and Job are saying the exact same thing here. He says, you didn't come into the world pulling a U-Haul full of material possessions, so you're not going to leave the world pulling one either. So in light of eternity, greed in the pursuit of wealth then, and the failure to be content makes no logical sense. <laughs> in eternity, it makes no difference. So why pursue it here and go nuts here over it? This is a simple yet profound statement, isn't it? See, we, know, we all know this in principle. All of us know, and the world knows, that we're going to die and not be able to take anything with us. But how easy it is to get sucked into that world in terms of how we actually live it out principally in this lifetime. So we know it, but man, do we struggle to live it. <laughs> simple, but yet profound. Simple, yet complex. We're all tempted to fall into the trap of the rich fool in Luke 12, if we're honest. I'm in the same boat as you when it comes to temptation. Remember, Jesus told this parable about the rich fool. He said, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. 
And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Who then will get what you've prepared for yourself? For we brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out either. Who's going to get what you've stored up? That's the parable. He asks us the same question. Who's going to get what we've stored up here on this earth? In light of eternity, that's why contentment is key and greed is futile. So what does Paul say we need for contentment? Well, verse 8. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. You know what Paul's saying here? What you need to be content and satisfied to see your lot is sufficient in life is the simple necessities of life. The basics. Food and covering. Food, clothing, shelter. Those are the three things you need. Now, Paul is not speaking out against a person who possesses more than this, as if it were sin. Paul recognized even in verse 17, there were rich believers within his church in Ephesus. We're going to cover this in two weeks, but look at 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. So there's rich people in the church. He's not condemning them yet. He's, he recognizes people can have wealth. Most of, some of the most godly people in the Bible were extremely wealthy. Job was a, was a today's standard, like a multimillionaire. Abraham, in today's standard, would be a multimillionaire. King David was very wealthy. Some of the most godly examples in the scriptures are wealthy, extremely wealthy, beyond anything either any of us in this church have. So again, Paul's not condemning people who have material wealth and who, and who are above and beyond the necessities of life. He's simply saying that if you just have the necessities, that is enough for a believer to be satisfied. That's enough for satisfaction. Of course, though, we have to recognize this, and this is the blessings of following the Lord. There are, um, when we do go God's way with money, we often get one of the necessities of life. There's a tremendous financial blessing that comes to us when we go the Lord's way. There are exceptions, like things out of our control, like if you experience a natural disaster, or you're persecuted for your faith. Those are exceptions, but those are realities. But when we generally go God's way, we actually do receive more than the necessities. Proverbs 11.24 says this, There's one who scatters and yet increases all the more. The generous man will be prosperous. 2 Corinthians 9.6 He who spares, reap, uh, sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, for God loves a cheerful giver. So again, the principle, if you're cheap, you don't get much. You might live more in poverty. If you're, if, you're, if you're generous, you'll receive more. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled with overflowing, and your vats will brim, will brim over with new wine. You know, I was talking to Dave Panton. He's preached here before. Um, he's our, our network leader in our, in our denomination. I, meet, I see him a couple times a year, and you've heard him speak. But I phoned him about a verse in here that was troubling me, and him and I sort of hashed it out for the, on the phone for half an hour. But he said to me, you know what's Andrew? Interesting, Andrew, he goes, um, 
he was, because uh, he's uh, been in the church for a long time, he's a retired pastor, so he's been in the Free Methodist Church for years. He said when John Wesley used to disciple people, it used to drive him nuts because a lot of people, the, the, the believers around him were getting wealthy and doing well financially, and he had this idea that you had to be poor as a, poor as a Christian. But the question is, why were they getting wealthy? He said, Wesley recognized there was a huge correlation. They stopped sinning. <laughs> they started going God's way, and all of a sudden their financial prowess completely changed. <laughs> right? Man, they weren't going into debt. They weren't drinking. They weren't boozing it up. They were, uh, they were, you know, they were making smart decisions. They didn't have to satisfy on their own desires. All these sorts of things. They stopped sinning. And of course they started to do financially well. This was the reality back in the 1700s. And it drove them nuts. But it's a financial principle. It's a biblical principle that generally people do well when they go God's way. But the, but the message is clear. Regardless of what we own, whether it's just the necessities or above and beyond, we're to watch out for greed and be content with what we have. That's his way of putting a stamp of approval on that last one. <laughs> so that's contentment. What about the warning? The warning to those who desire to get rich. Again, think context first. The context is false teachers. They're the ones that desire to get rich. That's why they think that godliness is a means of gain. They're in it for the money. Well, let's read verse 9. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Notice again here that Paul doesn't deal with the possessions of wealth. He addresses what people who possess wealth later in 17 through 19. Rather, he addresses the inherent spiritual dangers for those who desire to be wealthy. See, notice it says here, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation. They, they long for it. They want to get it. This is, their whole, this is their whole purpose. So they're starting wealth as irrelevant. They just want to become wealthy. That's their motivation. Well, for Paul, the results of this motivation, this greed, it's a downward spiral that flows in sequence. First of all, notice what happens. They get tempted. They get tempted. I love what Gordon Fee says in his commentary. He wrote this, Greed has a way of causing people to look in directions they may have never looked otherwise. <laughs> oh, man, I know that feeling. I went to Costa Rica on my honeymoon, and I've never in my life, in my life, thought about owning a second property. Ever. I was just happy to have the home in Okotoks I did. I go to Costa Rica, we, we hire a tour guide, we go on this tour of the, of the, of the, the, not just the resort, but just in the general areas of, the, of, of land throughout the country, and we, we get to go outside of our property. And then I start, we start to see like um, uh, extra real estate that people have timeshares in, and not just timeshares, but they own extra condos. Well, man, like me and Janice talked about this for a couple hours after. What would we like to own a property in Costa Rica? I never came across my mind in my life. Why am I talking about owning a property in Costa Rica? Because it's beautiful, it's sunny, it's hot, it's nice, and it's, I can escape, you know, the winters, and, and it'd be sure nice to go on holidays there on a regular basis. I'm entertaining this stuff because I'm there, I'm tempted. I didn't have the financial, we didn't have the financial means to do it anyway. <laughs> We'd have to go into huge debt to get it. 
But greed has a way of causing people to look in directions that may never look otherwise. That's temptation. Second, once you're tempted, you're easily ensnared. You fall into a trap. And once you have nooses around your, your leg, well, in your mind, you're, that's it. Once you're ensnared, you start to engage in foolish and harmful desires of various sorts. I mean, if Janice and I pursued that, if we made the decision to actually go for that property, which you didn't have the money to do, we would start engaging in foolish and harmful desires of various sorts. We would become the lender's slave, for example. We would start co-signing, taking out loans, things that we just, anything to make that happen. And what does Paul say? That'll lead to your destruction. That'll lead to your ruin. Not just in this lifetime, but potentially in the next. Because if you die with greed as one of your defining characteristics, that is not a way to inherit the kingdom of God. I like what William Mounts says in verse 9. He's a commentator that I quote regularly here. The guy's brilliant. Look what he says about verse 9. I couldn't summarize it better than him. So he gets to be the last word on this verse. Paul is saying here, more than that those wishing to be rich will be tempted because all people are tempted. He is saying that there's a special temptation, or perhaps a set of temptations, that does not surface unless one is pursuing riches. In other words, the desire to be rich opens a door to a whole new set of temptations. This is why Paul concludes the way he does in verse 10. He says, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Notice the key observation here. Paul doesn't say that money in itself is the root of evil. The actual, if I had 20 bucks here, that's not evil. That in itself. It's the love of it that's evil. It's the love for it. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, not the money in itself. This is really important to make that distinction. I know many believers, Christians, that are wealthy. Many. But they don't love money. The same on the flip side. I know many Christians <laughs> that actually are in trouble in this area because they do love money. And they have very little. So it's the love of it, not how, what your starting wealth is. So again, for Paul, it's not the love of money, but one's affections for it that are key. The reason is, it's the root of all sorts of evil. The question then for us is like what? What kind of things do we pursue? Well, thankfully we have the scriptures to help us. We have the scriptures to help us. Ananias and Sapphira, their greed got them into trouble. It was a root of evil. What did it make them do? It made them be deceptive and lie. If you love money, you can often be deceptive and lie. Do you remember them? The church is bringing all their... Like, the, the church is growing like crazy in, the, in Jerusalem. And um, all the believers are selling their extra properties and all of their houses and their, and their land, bringing their proceeds of the, of the sales to the disciples to distribute amongst the entire Christian community because many were poor. 
And so they're trying to sort of uh, take care of everyone's needs. Ananias and Sapphira, this husband and wife team, they, they know about this, they're part of the church community. They think, well, what we'll do is we'll take our property, our extra, we'll sell it, but we'll hold back some of the proceeds for ourselves. So they decide to do this, and they go up to Peter in front of the whole congregation of believers and say, here's the proceeds for the sale of our land. And Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, why did you lie to God? You didn't bring the whole proceeds. You kept back a portion for yourself, and you did it to look good in front of the whole church and, it was, and to keep up appearances. But you padded your own pockets for your own greed and your own gain. He talked about destruction and ruin. Back to verse 9. God killed them for their hypocrisy. Killed them. Took their lives right there. So, greed can lead you to lie and be deceptive. Greed can lead you to apostasy. Turning away from your faith. Judas was that very man. Judas was a follower of Jesus Christ. He eventually, over time, over the three years at some point, we don't know when, but um, got disillusioned with the Lord. <clears throat> and it turned him into greed. So when the, the religious leadership said, hey, would you point out who Jesus is and we'll give you a bunch of silver so we can basically capture him and crucify him, he agreed to it. His greed led him to reject the Lord Jesus Christ and to commit apostasy. Good example here when it says, because it says here, some, for some of it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. These are people that started with the Lord and walked away from Him. Can also lead you to murder. Can lead you to murder. King Ahab in First uh, Kings 21. Ahab's the king of Israel. He notices a vineyard close to his own property owned by a man named Naboth. And he approaches Naboth and says, I'd like, your, I'd like your vineyard for myself. It's really close to my home and it would look, you know, look good under my financial portfolio. Naboth says, you can't have it. The law said that inheritance would be passed down. And so he, he wasn't going to give his vineyard away because the, the commandments of God said, I need to hold on to this. <laughs> um, Ahab goes into depression. Total depression. The, the scripture said he was sullen and vexed. Um, over this, this situation. He couldn't have what he wanted, and so he went into depression. His wife Jezebel comes along and says, uh, What are you doing, uh, husband, Mr. King of Israel? Uh, why are you so down? You can have this anytime you want. You're the king. So they come up with a plot to kill him, to kill Naboth, to get it. So they throw a feast, and then the feast, in his name, throw a feast, and then they have false witnesses come forward saying that Naboth, by the way, cursed, king, and he cursed the king and cursed God. And so they go and execute Naboth, and Ahab takes, Ahab takes his vineyard for himself. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, lying, deception, <coughs> apostasy, murder. Another one, perversion of justice. Perversion of justice. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Samuel's old, he's the prophet in Israel. His sons are appointed as judges. The nation of Israel hated the sons. So much so, they said, we don't want them to reign over us. We want a king in their place. And remember, in Israel at that time, there were no kings. All the nations had kings. Israel only obeyed the Lord, and he spoke through prophets. So they were distinct from the other nations of the world. But they say, we want to be like the nations. We want to have a king to rule over us, because these guys were so brutal. 
Now listen to what they were guilty of. <clears throat> and I quote from the scriptures. They did not walk in the ways of their father Samuel, but turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. They took bribes because of greed, and so they would pervert justice. You could pay them out. And I, don't, I don't have to tell you today <laughs> how many things do you hear about people in positions of power and so on that take bribes and use money to get what they want and use that to get power. And the people in, this, in our land are not getting justice. They're not getting justice. We have a legal system, not a justice system in Canada in many occasions. These are just a few church. I could go on with many more examples from the scriptures. So what do we do with all this? Some of you right now have the Holy Spirit talking to you. And there's a sense of conviction. Some of you, not so much. You've had to work through this in your life already. And so uh, there's been victory in these areas. But I'm going to leave you with some questions and application before we move on to lessons. And this is a contentment versus love of money spectrum. Do you, are you content or do you love it? These questions reveal this area of your life. The first two questions come from many discussions that Dan Jansen and I have had together and many discussions with the spiritual leadership in this church as we discuss Genesis House and our own personal situations and knowing how to counsel those of us within the church. So the first two are just a combination of me and my, my, my mentors and friends speaking about these issues. The first question is this. Are you known to be generous to God and other people? Are you known to be generous to God and other people? If the answer is yes, you're content. If the answer is no, then you're on the path to loving money. How do we be generous to God? 1 Corinthians 9. The worker is worthy of his wages. You pay those who spiritually invest over you. We've learned this in Timothy. The pastor is to get paid. That's the way you give to God. You give to those who He's called to ministry that oversee you. Do you give to the Lord sacrificially by investing in those who spiritually oversee you? How about this question? When you give the offering, does it kill, it, kill you to see it leave your bank? Like, I don't want to give this. I just, I don't know. Like, I don't trust. Like, I don't, you know, that kind of attitude. Or does it excite you and are you honored to give that tithe over? Does it kill you to let it go? Or are you excited to let it go? That's a good question for all of us. How about generous towards others? Does everyone know you to be free with your money? Is it an argument at the till who pays for coffee? Is it an argument who, who pays for the muffin at brown sugar? Or is it one-sided every time? Do you tip well when it's deserved? Do you, do you give resources to others? So you've got, you know, like, you own stuff, extra stuff that the majority of us don't own, and you share it generously and liberally? 
Or do you resent giving things away and you always hope that things fall your way? Another question. Do you save? Do you save? You don't have to have everything you want and you don't have to have everything you see. You're willing to live within the reality of your means and you don't go into debt to get it. Do you save? If you do, you are content. You don't have to have everything. If you don't, you're on the pathway to loving money. These next questions come from John MacArthur. I, uh, as you know, as you could tell by today, I quoted different commentaries. I listened to different people. I've got two or three men that are... <laughs> You've got two or three men that I listen to on a regular basis, and John Mack is one of them. These are questions that he asked in his sermon on this. Do you consistently think about, think that you never have enough and constantly talk about needing more? So the conversation is, if I only had more, if I only had, if I only had, if I only had, then, 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 this and that and the other and so on and so forth. Or are you just satisfied with your lot in life? I never forget the gym. There was a guy that worked for me, not Stu, and he said, Andrew, I'm, I'm going to, I'm quitting being a trainer at your gym, I'm going to the oil patch. <clears throat> and he says, I need more money. I said, uh, I understand why you're leaving, and I get that. Like, you know, I couldn't pay him what the oil patch could. I said, but you're not going to have more money because you go to the oil patch. <laughs> he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, your 24-inch TV becomes 60, and your uh, little grandam car becomes a, a Porsche Cayenne. That's why. If you can't save with little, you're not going to save with lots. It all has to do with your contentment. And he listened to me, but there wasn't much conversation after that. That's the reality of life. He thought that if he had more, that things would get better. and make him more content, but that's the devil's lie. How about the next question? When you have nice things, do you need to flaunt them to others? I can't wait to show my friends my new shirt, my new house, my new car, my new motorbike. I have to show them to feel good about myself. Or do you just get the things and then you're just happy to have them and thank God for them, but there's no need to, to, to flaunt them in order to be satisfied. And finally, do you have sin to obtain what you want? You have to sin to get it. If you do, you love money, you're not content. So what are we to learn from today's lessons, or sermon? Number one, the pursuit of wealth makes no sense in light of eternity. Verse seven, for we have brought nothing into the world so we cannot take anything out of it either. <coughs> Zero, church. You can't t I can't take my trailer to heaven. <laughs> I can't take this nice shirt to heaven. Can't take it. I can't take it. The pursuit of wealth makes no sense in light of eternity. Greed is futile. Mark 8. 
36. For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Doesn't matter if you're Bill Gates or Andrew Dexter, it makes no difference to your soul in eternity. Number two, with the exception of circumstances beyond one's control, financial blessing generally comes to those who go God's way with money. Verse eight, if, we're, if, we're, if we have food and covering, with these we should be content. Yeah, those are the basic necessities from God to be satisfied. That's what he wants us to have. That's what he wants us to have, to be content. If we have extra, it's not sin in and of itself to have extra. And we know this because a lot of times when you go the Lord's way, there is financial blessing that comes. We just read the Proverbs that talk about that. When you give, when you're generous to God and others, you will receive back. That's the promise of Scripture. We're not talking prosperity gospel here. We're talking just a general principle of life. Again, the unforeseen circumstances, things like natural disasters, things like persecution, those are, those are uncontrollable. But the general lesson is that. And I, can speak, I know that many of you know this and would talk freely about this because I've had many conversations with you and you tell me about the unforeseen things that the Lord has brought into your life that you are not expecting and didn't expect Him to act in ways that He did. Beside Proverbs 3.9, I have written over the last 10 years a list of everything that the Lord's done in my life that I was unexpected and didn't know so that I would never forget. And the list is incredible. Just one after the other of things that are just, like, just beyond like, my imagination of the way the Lord's provided for me. But I was one who was $75,000 in debt at one time in my life. 75000 I'm not talking mortgage, I'm talking consumer debt. So I'm speaking for one who had to learn the hard lessons and to be redeemed by the Lord, forgiven by the Lord, and I had to go God's way and He completely turned my situation around. So when I have those Proverbs listed of all those blessings, I didn't earn that on my own merit. That's the Lord's provision for my, from, but I had to confess those sins and, and to make it right and go His way. Lesson three. Possessing wealth as a believer is not a sin. The craving of it is. Job, David, you know, guys like this, rich beyond comparison. Examples all through the scriptures of, of, to us that you need to be like these guys in terms of character. So the issue is not that. It's the issue is if you love it. Verse 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation. Verse 10, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. These are the things, oh here another one, some longing for it have wandered away. Loving it, longing for it, longing for it, wanting to have it. These are the issues for the Lord. Con contentment again is unrelated to how much you have. It's only related to how much you want. And finally, the craving for wealth is the root of all sorts of sin. Pretty obvious. Lying, Ananias and Sapphira. Stealing, actually that, that's, I should have mentioned this, I didn't mention this in my sermon, but that's Judas as well. He used to dip his hand in pilfer from the bag. 
that the, the disciples would carry around. So lying, stealing, deception, murder, bribery, apostasy, and you name it. It's the root of all sorts of sin. There's, these are big categories, but there's many ways in which we can go down that path. And hopefully the Lord's spoken to you, and uh, I would love to hear your thoughts and have an open discussion now as we work through these things.